So go, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Riverview this morning. It's good to see everybody. The weather this week is uh, looking fairly clear. Uh, so glad to have you guys with us. If you were here last week, you know that we had to have quite an abrupt uh, ending uh, during the middle of our service, uh, right after we kind of got into the middle. Uh, so uh, thank you for being flexible uh, with us last week. Um, so I want to give just a quick announcement on, on the weather. Uh, we've talked about a lot of uh, great things about flexibility and just how grateful we are of uh, just how really you've been flexible in a, in a lot of different things because we don't have a lot of answers to you know what's next and how, how we're progressing forward. Um, we have uh, loose plans, but it kind of changes from week to week, and so we've thanked you for that. One of the things that we failed to think through was what do we do in the middle of a rainstorm? We talked about what do we do beforehand, what do we do after or whatnot, but we really hadn't covered this is what we do in the middle. And I think everybody did what was normal. You get up and you run, right? And, and so you guys did a great job on your end. Uh, we didn't do a good job on ours. Uh, and so um, the, the rain plan uh, for if that were to happen again, um, we've had about 10 weeks outside or so. And so one out of 10, we thought, well, that's not too bad. Uh, but at the same time, we want to uh, clearly communicate what the expectation is for, for us. Um, if it rains in the middle of a service, we will do exactly what happened uh, last week. We will, as quickly as we can, uh, take down all this electrical equipment because it costs a lot of money and we don't want to have to replace that. And so we'll break that down. Um, we'll give just a, a, a quick moment to wait to see if the rain's going to clear out uh, so everybody can just run back to the cars. But if it continues to rain, what we'll do is we'll, we'll cancel uh, the remainder of the service. And then uh, online, we'll put up a pre-recorded message online so that you can go home and you can watch something um, that will hopefully be edifying to you. And then we'll resume again the next week, um, just like we're going to do this morning with what we had planned for that particular week. Uh, so that's the rain plan. Thanks for being flexible. Thanks for being gracious with us as we're trying to work that piece out. Um, the next thing is... Um, uh, if you've brought offering, uh, offering is, uh, uh, there's a box in the back, and we just want to thank you for doing that. This is an interesting time, right, uh, where we're gathering outside, and we're not inside, a normal kind of giving atmosphere, um, but the Lord is still doing work, and the staff is still doing work, and the community still has needs, and so we want to continue to ask you to support um, your local church, the part that, if this is your local family, if this is your church that you gather at on a weekly basis, um, help support that. Um, if this is your first time here, or you're, or you're just kind of checking us out, please like like be willing to just sit don't have any expectations you know but if this is your church family help support what god's doing here uh and we're going to honor him and worship him worship him with that we'll pray for our offering in just a, a few minutes here um next thing is uh in two weeks we're having something called a bath to queue um and so we're going to be out here uh for our service but we're going to have uh, a barbecue um, together, we'll have a, a, a quick word together, a time of worship, but we're also, we're going to have baptisms. And so if uh, you have been thinking, man, the Lord has, he's saved me, he's come in, he's done a great work in me, but I haven't yet followed in baptism, uh, we would love to have that conversation with you and uh, and, and, and see if you're ready uh, for that. And so uh, if that's you, give us a call uh, or send us a message or just stop by and talk and we would love to uh, talk to you about baptism and then in two weeks we'll, we'll, we'll go down that road with you well um, so uh, make sure you let us know if you want to be baptized and uh, come on the 16th and we'll have a, a great time of worship and eating together outside here uh, this coming Wednesday we have a prayer walk uh, we did this a, a few weeks ago or about a month ago or, or so uh, we're gonna meet here on Wednesday at 730 it's a great opportunity uh, for us to uh, pray together here and to worship together and go out and, and uh, we're gonna 
going to separate out into different areas throughout town, and we're going to pray over our city. We're going to pray over the people in our city. We're going to pray over uh, for unity. We're going to pray uh, for God's healing uh, in different ways. Uh, we're just going to go and we're going to worship God through prayer and pray for our our community, our people, the place and the context which God has placed us in. And so we invite you to come again. That's 7:30 uh, this coming Wednesday. Uh, just go and pray for our town. Uh, with that, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into our morning time together, okay? Let's pray. Father, thanks for an opportunity to gather again in just a glorious morning. Um, thank you, Father, that you have uh, already prepared work in advance for us to do, and you've already prepared us for what you have this morning for us. Uh, and so I'm just going to pray that you would help us all to be available to you. I'm available uh, to you to be used to speak. Father, our community is available to you uh, to have ears to hear. And at the end of the day, Lord, we just want to have our hearts tuned to you and to be receptive to what you have for us. And so um, would you do just a mighty work in us? Um, we're going to do, uh, people are going to, to give here uh, throughout the, the message or at the end of the message. Um, or at, at any point, God, and it's not going to be just for, for dollars and cents, but this is going to be a heart of worship for you um, to say that our money doesn't own us. Uh, there's nothing that we're controlled by other than the spirit in our lives. And so we want to uh, give that offering to you even now. And so, Father, take this time. Use it for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 23 and Matthew 24. And obviously, uh, if you were here last week, the beginning of this is going to sound real, real familiar to you. All right, for about the first five to seven minutes. Uh, and then we'll be able to get into some of the heart of uh, what we were getting after last week. Um, and the question that we have on the table from last week is, uh, what do I have to do to get in, right? And that, that's a big question uh, that, that we've talked about. Uh, the question right now uh, that anybody maybe be asking before they even get out of their house to go anywhere is what am I going to have to do to get in? Am I going to have to wear a mask when I show up to get in there? Am I going to have to uh, have my temperature scanned when I show up at that building or when I show up at that place or that event or that concert? What am I going to have to do to get in? If I travel there, am I going to have to wait 14 days in quarantine once I'm there? Am I going to have to wait 14 days in quarantine when I get back? And if they let me in, what am I going to have to do in order to stay in? And the reason is that question is in the context for us right now, for a lot of us, and in the context of the end times, right? Because we're wondering and we're thinking, are we are we living in the end times? Like coronavirus has got us thinking about all sorts of things. And honestly, it's not just corona. Like it's 2020, right? 2020 is like kind of raking us over the coals. And if we were able to look back at our lives and our calendar and say, if there's a year that I could just get rid of, most of us at this point in our life would say, let's just get rid of 2020. Somebody else said, let's get just rid of like all the 70s. Let's just get rid of that. But some of you are like a little bit older, like, hey, yeah, let's do that. But if you're a little bit younger, you're like, hey, let's get rid of the, the like the 2020. Like, let's just get rid of that, be done with it over and over. Because like, if we were to agree, like, man, 2020 has been crazy. It's been wonky. There's been so much about it that we would just say, I would rather not do that. And some of us would say, yeah. I mean, with the crazy stuff that's going on, it does kind of feel like maybe the end could come right around the corner. It's been crazy. And people are wanting to know, is this maybe a sign of the end times? Is the corona the kickoff to the end? Now, like we said last week, we can speculate all day long. 
that we, we can wonder, and it's natural for us to wonder and to be curious and to think through the reality that one day this world as we know it, it's going to end, right? It, it, it's natural to be thinking about that. It's going to look completely different. And on the one hand, it's wise to think about it because it puts our mind into the mindset and the reality that, that we are living in a period of time that will come to an end. Like, it's not going to be like this forever. And it helps us to understand that, hey, we're living in a hopeful expectation that one day Jesus is going to come back, right? He's going to come back, and the world as we know it isn't going to be the same. And so as we wait, we wait in hopeful expectation for him. But then on the other hand, it seems a little bit futile to even be thinking about that because really we don't know when the end is going to come. Every day that we wake up, we can know that we're getting another day closer. Every day that we lay down and we close our eyes and we get up in the morning, we can know that we're another day closer. But at the end of the day, we really don't know when the end is going to be. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 24 that not even the angels know when it's going to be. And I don't know how this works out, honestly. But he says, not even I know when the end is going to be. Only the Father knows when the end is going to be. And so on one hand, it's wise, but on the other hand, it's a little bit futile. But I think the real question that's just kind of lying underneath of the surface for people who may, might be somewhat familiar with the scriptures and know and believe that, hey, there's going to be a day when this ends. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes back. Maybe there's not a, an ascribing of your life towards obedience and, uh, and following Jesus. But in the back of your mind, you might be thinking, I, I do believe the Bible. I do believe that there's a God, and I do believe that this world is going to end. And for people who are somewhat familiar with the scriptures, we believe that Jesus is coming back, and we have this question in the back of our minds. What do I have to do to be in? And I think the underlying question is, what do I have to do to be in and be on the right side of this thing when it goes down? Like when I stand before God, and, and he gives me whatever that question is going to be. What do I do to let, what did you do to let me in? Like a lot of us could stumble around and think through like, this is what I did, this is what I did. But what do we have, like the underlying question is, what do I have to do to be right with God in order to be in? And the truth is that the answer to the question is more difficult than what we'd like for it to be. Because what we would like to be an ultra clear answer for us, it often gets crowded out. But I think what we would call watered-down religion, right? Watered-down religion. If people that are, are walking, or and, and the result of watered-down religion is that it's something that gets passed off as real Christianity. And the result of watered-down religion is that people are walking around doing what we would say are religious things or doing the right things, the things that you think that we're supposed to to do that would make Jesus smile at you or make God smile at you or or to be seen by on the external as doing the right thing, causing us to talk the right talk, but maybe not even having to do who Jesus is. Or you may know who Jesus is, but just Jesus on the pages of the book, but we've never actually taken the time to take Jesus off the pages of the book and to have a real vibrant relationship with him that leads towards growth, that leads towards a real relationship, that leads towards transformation, that leads to a heart that is yielded to his plan of attack, a heart that is yielded to his uh, obedience towards him and to follow him wherever he might lead, even if that's somewhere that we may not want to go, right? But a heart that's yielded to him so that we might grow in this real relationship with him. And watered-down religion is so detrimental to a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus because it keeps us away from who he has already made us to be a part of it keeps us away from a, a real active experience 
an adventure with him. I was reading through uh, Matthew uh, in my quiet time uh, last month, and I, I got to Matthew 23. And Matthew 23, man, like you never see Jesus as upset in all the scriptures as you see him in Matthew 23. Because in Matthew 23, he is just chopping at the Pharisees, right? It's like you read through like, boy, these Pharisees are getting a bad rap. No, like he is just like going after them. And the reason that he's so upset with them is because they are passing on these religious activities or what we would say is just watered down religion. They're taking that and they're passing it off as a real relationship with God. And they're saying that, man, if you just do everything that we tell you to do, if you follow the prescription that we're giving you to follow, you can, just, you can be in with God. And when you were to answer the question, what do I need to get in with God? If you just do everything that we tell you to do, then you'll be good with Him. While at the same time, their hearts are so far away from God, they can't even see that Jesus is the answer to the question. They can't even see that Jesus is all that they actually need. In fact, what they're trying to do is they're trying to kill Jesus while saying they're following God. Now, how jacked up is that? Right? Like they're trying to get rid of the answer in Jesus. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I don't think it's much different than what we see in modern day religiosity and this modern day kind of watered down religion, modern day just kind of uh, religious movements and spiritualism where we have this, where there's this idea that if you follow the recipe on the box, that if you get the, to the right place where you can appease God or appease a God, that he'll look favorably upon you, that he'll make you feel good about yourself. There's a moral therapeutic deism where we just want to feel good about everything that's going on around us that kind of shies away from the activity of God that moves us into where he would actually have us to go. And we settle into this place of, if I just follow the recipe that's on the box, then I'll be good. I'll feel good about me, and I'll feel good about what he's doing. I'll feel good about what's around me. Just do what we tell you to do, and you'll be good. That's modern-day religiosity. That's spiritualism. That's religious movements that are all around us. Just follow the recipe. And unfortunately, in so many of the churches throughout America, and I would say, like that, just as, I wouldn't have to say all around the world, just in our context, throughout America, that's happening in churches around us. Just do what we tell you to do. Follow the rules and you'll get in. But this is the type of stuff that drove Jesus absolutely bonkers. This is the stuff that drove him crazy. And in Matthew 23, Jesus, in the context of these Pharisees, he says, you're hypocrites. You're snakes. You're a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs where they're busy painting the gravesite, painting the headstone, all the while knowing that what's going on on the inside is nothing but death and dead bones. He says, you, you put flowers around the outside, you paint the gravestone, and it looks really nice. Everything on the inside is dead. And then he calls them these uh, filthy cups. But they clean the outside of the cup while the inside of the cup is filthy. It's kind of like when I used to wash dishes when I was a kid. Just clean the outside. Like, hey, it looks clean. It looks like it's right. Um, we had to do chores when I was uh, little. And one of my chores was uh, sweeping, vacuuming the floor. And one of the things that I would do is like every day when we came home from school, I, I had to vacuum the floor. And uh, it got to the point where I, I just felt like if I, I didn't plug the thing in, right? I just took the vacuum and I just ran it across the floor so it looked like there was a few lines across the carpet. So it, you don't laugh. Anybody else do that? No? Just me? Oh, don't, hey, Carson, boy, you put your hand up in the air, you might get in trouble. Uh, but no, but it looked right. It looked like it was clean, but it was not clean at all. And what Jesus is saying is that they're a filthy cup. 
You appear to be clean on the outside while all the while the inside is filthy. Man, like, yikes, man. That's, that's difficult, right? Imagine being on the other end of that rebuke from Jesus. <sighs> well, I've never. Who, what gives him the right to talk to me the way that he's talking to me right now? Well, the only time that Jesus was ever was when there was this religious activity that was being disconnected from a real relationship with him. No heart change, just simply following the recipe on the box, pretending that you had everything together. Because religion without relationship, it's absolutely toxic. And the Pharisees look like they were perfect on the outside. And if we were to ask them, what do I need to do to get in? They would say, just do everything that we tell you to do. Just be like us and you'll be good. You'll get in. You'll have no problem. The only problem, though, was that Jesus wasn't too keen on their lifestyle. This kind of lifestyle actually made Jesus sick. He was repudiated by it so much so that he would lash out more aggressively here than anywhere else we see here in the scriptures. Go ahead and look at Matthew 24 here. Now, I want you to see that in the context of what's going on here with the Pharisees, of this conversation, this is going down inside the temple, right? Inside uh, the, the, the most religious place that these guys know, the most sacred place on earth to them. It's going down like this conversation is happening with the Pharisees and the disciples are there watching this go down as, as well. And Jesus, he takes these disciples out of the most religious place that they know, out of the most sacred place that they know. And I want you to notice what the disciples do as they're walking out of this place. Here's what they say in verse 1 of chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. I don't want you to miss this, okay? When you read the scriptures, I want you to, to, to make, like, allow them to come alive. See the context. See what's going on uh, around this picture. They're coming out of the, the temple, and they're turning around, and they're looking at the temple. They're looking at all the buildings surrounding the temple, and they're just absolutely amazed by what they see. In 2012, uh, I went to Disney for the first time in my life. Uh, I went with Ashley. She had been there before. Um, Adeline was about three. She was almost three years old. Anderson was almost one. And uh, I mean, I was ecstatic about walking into Disney World. Like we, we, we get there and we walk in the place and I'm looking around. I'm like, holy smokes, look at this place. Look at the sign. Look at the, the, the buildings. Look, hey, there's Mickey. There's Pluto. There's Goofy. Man, they're all here and they're here to welcome us. Like, I was dancing around like a kid. I was excited by everything that I was seeing. Look at all the people. That's the Pharisees in this scenario when they're coming out of the temple. Actually, she wasn't too impressed because she'd been there before. She'd experienced it before. But the disciples are walking out of the temple like, whoa, Jesus, look at this thing. Like, he's never seen it before. They're captivated by this thing. And scripture says the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Now, don't get me wrong, the temple was absolutely amazing. It was impressive to look at. There was nothing like it in all the world. It was the sign of Israel's prestige of old. It was the sign of religious activity. It was a place to go to worship. But more importantly for these guys, it was a place to go to be seen as worshiping God. For all intents and purposes, if we were to put this in our context, this was Memorial Stadium to them, okay? This was the most sacred place on earth. To some of these guys who were there. And the disciples are looking at it and saying, Man, isn't this place beautiful? 
But I want you to notice what Jesus does here. He knows, he knows the poison of the Pharisees. He knows what they've been teaching. And they know, he, know, he knows that it's made its way down through their theology, through their way of thinking, and what it means for them to be right with God and for them to have a relationship with God. It's trickled all the way down to them. And he knows how this particular building and just simply going through the motions has become maybe even a sign of their faith. And what had become this idol and this false sense of security for the Jews, for the Pharisees, and for anybody who would have this uh, idea that religious activity got you in with God, I want you to see that he doesn't engage in that conversation the way that they're trying to lead him. He actually steers away from it. Listen to what he says in verse 2. But he answered them, You see all these, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that won't be thrown down. Okay, put yourself in this context. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Okay, he is saying, I'm tearing all of this down. This building, I'm tearing it down. And along with it, I'm tearing down religion. I'm here because religion, watered down religion, it doesn't work. I stepped out of heaven so that I might free you from this prison of religion. I stepped out of heaven so that I can set you free to have a real, transforming, everyday relationship with me. I'm here to break all of this watered-down garbage down. And so don't get caught up in it. Don't get caught up in this building. And if we were to put this in our context, don't get caught up in this building. The fact that we're outside is amazing to me. That it's not about this building. Don't get caught up in church attendance. Don't get caught up in just going through the motions and believe that somehow that this can settle for a real relationship with God. It only poses as a real relationship with him. It's not the real thing. It's faith. And, and so when I was, uh, I was 18, I was, uh, I just graduated. My uncle who lived in New Jersey, he sent me a brand new watch for, for, uh, for graduation. And man, this was a nice watch. If you know anything about watches, this was a Tag Heuer watch. Now, Tag Heuer's like, they're top of the line, right? They're like, or they're getting close to the top of the line. And I was excited. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a watch guy. I like this sort of thing. And, and so he, he gave me this watch. And man, I was like, ah, oh, this is gorgeous. The only problem, though, was it came from New York City. And so a lot of times, things that come from New York City on the streets aren't real. Okay? This watch only looked like it was real. It was like if you like you studied, you look at it, like man, the thing looked like it was gorgeous. It looked like it was the real tag hewer. Um, no 18-year-old kid should be walking around with a real tag hewer anyway. Um, but I was walking down the street one day, and the reality of this watch played itself out. I was walking out, and I was just normal, you know, kind of striding with my arms, nothing fancy. It wasn't trying to be big or buff. I was just normal walking, and all of a sudden, this watch just fought, fell off my wrist, like it fell apart in mid-stride. Hits the ground and just busts. I'm like, what on earth just happened here? Well, it was a fake. It wasn't the real deal. It couldn't stand up, apparently, to the pressure of walking like a normal human being, right? It just, it just fell apart right there. It was posing to be real while all the while it was a busted fake. Because I want you to hear, if, if we're just kind of settling into this idea and we believe that for somehow just showing up to a building showing up to a service walking through the motions that that's somehow reminiscent of a real relationship with jesus 
If we somehow believe that, that that would make us right with God, I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, I'm tearing down religion. There's not going to be a stone that's left upon this thing. If you know history, you know that this building actually came down. If you were to go walk around Israel, Israel right now, you would see remnants of the temple on Temple Mount but you don't see the structure as they're looking at right now. So this would come down physically, but he was talking about something even greater than that. Or the, or the way that we think, the theology that we believe. Do we believe that just walking through the motions makes us right with God, or do we believe that there needs to be a heart change and a connection with Jesus that does the work in us and through us for that? So let's not settle into that. Now, now think about this, though. If you're one of the disciples, you have to imagine right now they're thinking like, what is going on right now? What, like, what, what's happening? The temple destroyed? Our teachers of the law? The Pharisees? Like, they're not good enough for all intents and purposes. Like, they're perfect. When we look at them, they get everything right. If they're not enough, if they're not in, then who is? If the temple's destroyed and the religious activity, if that doesn't do it, then what does do it? How does somebody get in? What do we have to do? And then you come to verse 3. Jesus doesn't sit. He's laid that on them. And then there's this time gap between verse, verse 2 and verse 3. So all this has happened in the context of the temple. They walked outside of it. But then when you get into verse 3, they've, they've gone to the Mount of, of Olives, which isn't a real far distance away. Um, you've got Temple Mount here where the temple is sitting, and then you walk down through the valley, and then you come up the other side of the hill, and you kind of go through what is traditionally known as the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you're kind of approaching the Mount of Olives. So it's not a real far distance, but it's enough time for them to, to begin to think about the question, or to begin to think about the things that Jesus has just kind of laid on them, and they're beginning to start, to start to formulate some questions out of this. I don't know if you've ever had somebody just like drop this this huge thing on you, and they and and they're talking to you, and you're, like, you're sitting there like you're kind of awestruck for a second, and you're just kind of nodding your head along, and you're like, man, I'm tracking with you, I'm tracking with you, yeah, yeah, but you have no clue what they're talking about. Anybody been there? Like too many times for me to count. Like, like, people are usually above my head when they're trying to talk to me. And I'm just nodding my head along, like, yeah, yeah, I get you. But then, like, maybe a few moments later, maybe a, a few days later, you finally begin to understand what they're saying. And then you begin to think, like, oh, I've got some questions about that. Like, I don't get what you were saying. And, and so there's this time gap between two and three where they finally began to formulate their questions. Like, hey, you know that thing that you were just talking about there? Like, the whole temple thing? Like, it coming down? Like, you destroying it? Like, when's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? What do you mean by that? Tell us about the end. When's this all going down? Verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And to one degree or another, it's a question that many of us are asking right now. How do we know when the end comes? How do we know when all this stuff's going to happen? And the underlying question is, how do we know that we're going to be on the right side of this thing when all of this goes down? When we stand before God? Because if the Pharisees aren't in, if they don't cut it, and to us they seem perfect and they get everything right, if perfection, if perceived perfection and doing all the right things doesn't do it, then how do we get in? How do we get on the right side of this? And we're not going to do this now, but when you go home, what I want you to do is I want you to read all of chapter 24. Because when you read chapter 24, you're going to see all Jesus talking about all these signs of things that are to come. 
how, how things are going to go down when it gets close to the end. And then uh, it's, it's things that, as, we're going, as you read it, you'll be like, well, maybe, maybe we're going through those things right now. But then when you get to the end of chapter 24, what you're going to see, you're going you're to see what we talked about earlier. All of this is important, but it's, on some level, it's a little bit futile. Because Jesus says no one knows when the end's going to be. Only the Father himself knows. And so you might be asking then, then why would Jesus even say anything about the end? Why would he give all these signs about things to come if it, if it seems to be somewhat futile in the end? Well, I think it's because he wants people to know it's going to happen. It is going to happen. So, and I think he wants to know that like, there is really going to be an end. The world as we know it one day will not look the same. It's going to come to an end. And so that we would know that how we live right now actually matters. Like we, we're, we can't be indifferent to Jesus. We can't be indifferent to the things of God. We can't be lackadaisical that there's going to be an end, that there, there are people who don't yet know Jesus. And maybe you sit here and you don't yet know Jesus. There is going to be a day when this thing comes to an end as we know it. And so, he, so it isn't futile in the sense that we should know, but knowing when the exact time is going to be. Jesus says, not even, not even the Father knows. And so, so many of us, we can get wrapped up into what Jesus is so frustrated about. We can get wrapped up in a lifestyle that just drives him absolutely bonkers. This follow the recipe religion. And never really center into a real relationship with Jesus that's alive, that's vibrant, that's real, a relationship that we can actually enjoy. I mean, let's be honest. No one loves dead religion. Nobody likes that. No one loves rote obedience without any connection to what we're obeying or to who we're obeying. No one's lives end up being changed by just simply following the rules. It can make you a better human being, but it doesn't change your heart. But when we start talking about relationships, we start talking about a connection with Jesus, man, that, that changes things, right? That's a, that's a little bit different, something that we're excited to wake up to in the morning. Maybe not know where we're going to be going that day. Maybe not knowing what, exactly where we're going to be doing, if we're available and open to the Holy Spirit leading us. Maybe we not know where that's going to go, but we know that wherever he leads us and wherever he takes us and whatever he brings into our life, that he's going to be there in the middle of it with us. And that we, if we obey in that space, like there's blessing there, there's connection, there's growth, there's excitement and, and experience in that adventure. Wherever that is, it's a relationship that leads to growth, to transformation, and a willingness to follow, not out of this um, compulsion towards religiosity, but because we know that when we follow him, we get to experience him. When we follow him, we get to experience his goodness and his closeness. We need to walk into this adventure of being led by the Holy Spirit. Now that's completely different than dead religion. That's completely different than rote obedience. Watered down religion is the place where relationship goes to die. But relationship is the place where we truly come alive. A relationship with him is when we get to experience him. We experience the freedom that he's given us. We get to experience the life that he's given us in, in Christ. So often in the scriptures, Jesus talks about 
the shepherd. He talks about having bad shepherds, and he talks about having good shepherds, and he talks about himself as being the good shepherd. And the main job of a shepherd was to lead the sheep to good life, right? And the good life is found when the sheep follows the shepherd, wherever he leads. Even if you don't want to go where he's leading you, the shepherd is always leading you towards life and not futility. He's always leading to the places that are good for you ultimately in the end. The job of the shepherd was always to lead the sheep to good life. And Jesus says in John 10 that he was the good shepherd, right? He was the good shepherd. And later on in John 10, he says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so we know that there's a thief out there who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, who wants to take away our relationship with Christ. Now listen, dead religion is thief stuff. Dead religion is, is what the thief poses as something that is real. It acts like life, but at the end of the day, it's a watch that falls off the wrist and is bust all over the place. It's posing as something that's real. It's thief stuff. It's dead. It doesn't lead towards life. Dead religion is a clean cup on the outside, but it's filthy on the inside. Follow the recipe, religion, with no relationship. That's thief stuff. And there will never be any joy in that relationship. But true relationship where we follow Jesus into life, where we allow him to lead us into places where true life is, that's sheep stuff, right? That's good life stuff. That's a life that doesn't get caught up in dead religion and looking at buildings and saying, wow, look at that, and settling for a building or settling through just walking through the motions. That's thief stuff. But where we just walk into a real relationship with him, that's where life actually comes from. Because religion will always keep you asking the question, what do I have to do to get in? Am I going to be good when this all goes down? Dead religion will keep that question on the front of your mind, but relationship says that you're in, you're going to be in, you don't have to worry about that, you're secure in Christ. Now just simply enjoy the relationship that you have with me. Because there's going to be a day when this stuff comes to an end. There's going to be a day where all of this, as we know it, comes to an end. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus, who have a relationship with him, there is no need to fear. There's zero need to fear. And they get caught up, is this the end? Is it not the end? We get to enjoy the relationship along the way. I want you to read how Jesus wraps this, this whole conversation up on, on, on the Mount of Olives in, in Matthew 25. And I'm just going to read it. I'm going to let it sit. Okay? So here's what, how Jesus begins to wrap this up. He gives a lot of pictures of the kingdom at the beginning of chapter 5 and, and about waiting expectantly, being busy while we wait, being busy while we wait on him. Okay? And here's how he wraps it up. Verse 31 of chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He'll sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He'll place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, and hear the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, that will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I'll say to you, 
as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, that's the goats, right? And that's not the greatest of all time, right? Get that out of your mind. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. These are the things that life leads towards, where we intervene on these behalves. Then they'll, an they'll, they'll also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, Truly I say to you, you did not do it to the one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so if the question on the table is, what do I need to do to get in? What do I need to do to be on the right side of this thing, right? When I stand before God, what do I need to do to be right with him? convoluted answer that we're fighting against here is dead religion. The right answer is Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus to move beyond dead religion, to move into a place of real relationship, real relationship, real relationship with him where our hearts are just looking over by him. To allow our lives to be so changed by his that when people begin to look at us, they don't see us, they see the Father. This isn't about this isn't about us just following rules and this isn't a works-based salvation. This is our lives modeling the life that Jesus has given us, right? When you trust Jesus, that's us like walking into life with him. That that is us walking into this place of I was dead, but now I'm alive. Now that I'm alive, I live in this settle into dead religion. So if the question is, what do I need to do to get in? The answer for us is Jesus. Move away from dead religion. And what I want to do is I want to give you a, a quick challenge here. I, I want you to, um, if you feel comfortable, just go ahead and you know look down, close your eyes. But whatever you need to do just to kind of spend a moment to think. Not separating yourself from the context of the community here, but to give yourself a moment to think. Jesus just talks about goat and sheep life. I just want to give you a second to think. Not to cast doubt in your life, but for you to deal honestly with the Lord. Am I a sheep? Or am I a goat in this context? Am I a sheep? Or am I a goat? See, goats settle for dead religion. Sheep come alive in relationship with Jesus. Goats settle for the outside of the cup. Sheep allow the inside of the cup to be cleaned by Jesus. Goats follow the recipe on the box with no heart connection to Jesus. Sheep say, I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, but I'm going to trust that you're in it with me. I'm going to follow you wherever that might be. Sheep rest in a relationship with Jesus. may not be true of everybody out here. 
I might have some goats in the flock this morning who need to know the love and the truth of Jesus and to have their heart transformed by him and to stop settling for church attendance and, and just showing up or doing the right things, but allow our hearts to be clean from the inside out. And if you're a goat this morning, I want you to deal honestly with the Lord. I don't want that for you, and I hope you don't want that for you. I'm not trying to be like a, a fear kind of a thing. I was, I was reading in Mark yesterday, and Jesus was kind of going at this in a different way in, in Mark. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. May that, may that not be true of any of us that have sit out here, that we honor the Lord with our lips, but our hearts are so far from him. And that's, that's goat life. That's clean on the outside, dirty on the inside kind of stuff. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here who know you and have a real relationship with you, Lord. I pray that that would translate into just radical obedience to you in a place where, um, where it's not just about obeying the laws and it's not just about obeying certain things, but our hearts have been transformed so much that we want our, our life to reflect what you've done on the inside of us. We want a real relationship with you. Not a perfect, get everything right, but a real relationship with you that when we mess up, we don't run from you, but we run to you because there's grace there. Father, I pray for those who are here that are kind of living that goat life right now, thinking that they're the greatest of all time, thinking that this settles into um, being right with you. But Father, I pray that that you by your spirit might begin to illuminate the scriptures for my friends here. That you by your spirit would begin to begin to stir up some affection towards you. That you would begin to do a work in us that doesn't settle for just showing up. That doesn't settle for the outside of the cup that allows you to come in and just do a radical work inside of us, changing our desires and changing our mind and changing our affections to the point where we don't want what we want. What we want is what you want. And that just makes our life look a lot different. And so, Father, if there are, if we've got goats in the room, I pray that they would come to know the truth of who Jesus is this morning. They wouldn't walk out of here as a goat, but they would walk out of here as a, a sheep who has life with you, who has true life with you in relationship with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.